Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Are Liverpool ready to hit the strides after rolling over Leeds? Or will the Reds show their other side as far as come to Anfield this weekend? I'm alongside James Pearce and Ollie Kay to get into that, as well as weighing up what the team can gain from the remainder of the season. But first, we'll begin with the three words. And Ollie, because you are a guest on the show, give us three words. I will go for Intrigued by Trent. Ah, very interesting. James? I will go with No Backward Steps. Well, I like that. I like that. And, of course, the Walk On Facebook group, they've been sending their three words in. Anti-leg, same intensity again. Yep. Tony Noch, Trust in Klopp. Michael Quayle, No Mistakes, Please! In capital letters. I like that. <laughs> John Weller, keep wins coming. I'd say, same again, please. Uh, or, or I'd say, um, mm, very cautious. Does that mm, count as a word? I don't know. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. What I do know is Monday night was great. But what do we expect on Saturday? James, they've struggled for consistency, especially against teams in the lower half. Come on, what are we going to see? <laughs> well, I, I don't. I think if we've learned anything from the, the course of this season, it's not to make any bold predictions, Tony. I think with um, you can't, you haven't been able to trust this Liverpool team. That's been the problem from week to week in terms of what you're going to get. The absolute epitome of that was having to sit through that dismal performance at, at Bournemouth. Uh, you know, a week after, you know, a historic uh, demolition in Manchester United. So I think there is reason to believe this time it will be different because I think you only had to look at the strength of the bench the other night when, you know, the points were long since won against Leeds. But when you're bringing on players of the, the calibre of Nunes and Thiago and, of course, Luis Diaz being, being back around as well, you, you think to yourself, well, surely they can't take a step back after what happened against Leeds. And I also, as I watched Forrest, Forrest against Man United last, last weekend and Forrest were absolutely abysmal. There, something will have to go seriously wrong for, for Liverpool not to continue the, the momentum they built up on the weekend, but we've been here before. Well, yeah, I mean, because let's face it, you know, it's about Bournemouth, you know, we lost there. I mean, we just beat them 9-1 on aggregate. Um no. No. Um, anyway, but but we did lose at, at the city ground, didn't we? And obviously, it's a different thing there. But Ali, you know, you obviously are not at every Liverpool game. You know, you're covering other teams all the time. How do you see it? Is it is it confidence? Is it structural in the the setup? Is it the manager? I would say it began. The season began with it being a a structural issue. With with the midfield not being right and maybe a fitness issue with with you know it felt like a lot of players came into the injury into season either injured or 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 not looking at peak fitness and then it snowballed into a what I think has been a major psychological issue with the team for large chunks of the season which 
then has compounded the the structural issue. So it's felt like it's um it's become a vicious circle at times. And you know there have been times when Liverpool have broken that vicious circle. It was a good run just before the World Cup. It was a good run. Um, well, it wasn't it wasn't a long run, but it was a a good run sort of mid mid February to early March, the time of the you know the seven nil over United. But it's it, it just feels like there's been you know how Liverpool have been such a momentum team under Klopp and even under Rodgers before that, and the momentum. They've just never really been able to build it this season. And, and you know that if they can get on a run of five, six wins, that will probably sort of perpetuate itself. But they just, they've just they never really looked like doing that. Yeah, I mean, Leeds were really bad. Like, you know, we've got to be honest about that. You know, I, a Roy Hodgson team scored five against them. Shouldn't we have scored 17 or 18 then, James? No, that's a joke. <laughs> no, the, Liverpool played really well. And I was well pleased with the performance. But Forrest... They've only won one in 15 away games. They've been abject away from home. This is one where they've got to win, haven't they? And as Ollie was saying, one of the things is with any team, a bad season can kind of transform in a minute. Put four or five wins together. And the mood in the dressing room, the mood all around the club changes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think... But regardless of whether anything Liverpool can do in these last eight games, whether whether it does lead to them, you know, miraculously salvaging fourth spot, or whether it, they end up in the Europa League, or you know, potentially even worse, the the Conference League, you, you have to you have to go into the summer with some positives to cling to. I don't. Yes, we all know that the, the, this summer is a big one for the club in terms of the, the overhaul, stepping up a gear in terms of what needs to be done. But you can't. Even even going back a couple of weeks, I just thought you know you can't. People were saying you know oh you know this season just a write off now, and it's like well it's, it's not is it because you've got you've got players playing for their futures, hmm. you've got also got players who know they're going to probably go, but they're playing for a contract and a move elsewhere. You know, you've got young players desperately trying to force their way into Klopp's plans for next season. So um, yeah, there is still a lot to a lot to go for, and it, as you said, Tony, it's about the mood as well, isn't it? You know it's. It, it would it would have such a different feel to it, wouldn't it? If Liverpool were to go and win the rest of their remaining fixtures, regardless of whether that gets them fourth or fifth, it just gives you that hope going into the summer that with three or four new faces, they will be proper challengers again next season. Well, that's it. You go into your holidays, don't you? And you think to yourself, you know what? When I come back, it won't be the same as last season. It'll be different. We've got a chance of winning. If you've got that feeling of positivity going into the summer, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, and you look at individuals as well. I mean, there's been criticism of various Liverpool players this season. I mean, not all of them, but really at some stage. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold has had a lot of criticism. Van Dijk, Robertson even at times. Fabinho, obviously. Henderson, even Mo Salah. You know, despite the number of goals he scored, there have been questions of, of his form and Nunez as well. And you think, well, not just about what we as a public or, uh, or the fans need to see. It's about those players needing to probably prove to the manager, prove to themselves that, look, you might have some concerns these this summer, but they're not about me. And Curtis Jones being another classic case. I mean, it felt like Curtis Jones had been sort of written off by a lot of people. And then he's come back and played, started the last three games. And I think looked more and more like himself. I thought, I thought he played very well in the second half on Monday at Leeds. So there's so much to play for, for. There's always so much to play for. You know, you you need to bounce into the new season and a, win, a winning run would mean that when they arrive back, 
after the break, then they'd be they'd be all feeling good about it, glad to see each other and moving on. If we continue this spotty form, James, it'd be a pretty downbeat preseason, wouldn't it? We don't want that. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's all about trying to build up a little bit of momentum. And and as Ollie said, you know, there's a lot of players in that dressing room who who I'm sure you know look in the mirror and think. I haven't done myself justice this season for a whole host of different factors. Some haven't been able to because of fitness issues. Some have just had crisis of confidence and just a lack of form. Some have suffered as a result of the just the team unit falling to pieces. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people in there with a point to prove between now and the and the middle of May. I mean, it also it'd be it'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? For you know, as, as disappointing this season has been, if. If things just petered out, then you know that also it doesn't give fuel that hope as well that they are going to turn it around. Because I don't think it's as easy as just like flicking a switch and saying well, it's okay because we're going to get three or four new faces in the summer. Will be different next season. And Klopp will know that because I think I think that was why you saw him so kind of pumped up, you know, in, in stoppage time at the sight of those four Liverpool players hounding the Leeds player just before the final whistle and, and what what he was like, you know, tapping his the lighter bird on his chest when he went across to the way end afterwards because it was like, yes, and signs of life, signs well, of a well, team definitely. getting their identity back. Yeah, it felt like people were recovering their appetites, and that's what they need to do. And one of the things is, you know, between the three of us, we've been around football a long time. But probably, I don't even want to count the years, but it might well be coming up, oh, certainly past 75. I don't even want to think about it. But it never ceases to amaze me. One, how fragile dressing rooms can be. And then secondly, how suddenly robust they can get if, if their attitude's right and a, a series of results go in their favour. I remember speaking to a sports psychologist about a decade ago and he was saying he could walk into a, tra- a training ground and you could know instantly just from the, from the look on one person's face and just watching them train, you could know whether they're in a, a good spell or a bad spell. You see it at the the body language and I think it's massively massively underestimated and under underappreciated as a factor in football you look at the way Liverpool at times over the past few years have been absolutely on the crest of a wave where they've just looked utterly unstoppable and then there have been other periods not just this season but two seasons ago in that sort of early 2021 period behind closed doors when they just looked helpless where the momentum's gone and they've not known where it's going to come back you know they've not known where the next goal is going to come from never mind the next win Klopp has been very very good at that brilliant at that but probably the thing he's found harder is restoring it once it's gone I think you know they're the, the bad periods of which this season has probably been one long bad period have been concerning really I think that it shows that once the, the wheels come off it can be quite hard to get them back on yeah definitely one concern James is that sometimes Saturday's three o'clock can be a little flat, especially when the opposition's sort of, uh, how should we put it, um, a bottom-dwelling team. I mean, do you think it'll be flat on Saturday, or do you think everyone will be well up for it? No, I, th- I think I think people will be up for it. I think I think especially off the back of what we saw with that spirited fight back against Arsenal, and then you know the first proper away performance it felt like in in a long, long time. So no, I know what you mean, but it's not. I, I, I loathe the twelve thirty kickoffs in terms of. They're the I worst. Think, they are yeah, the worst. And, and Liverpool's results certainly back up that this season. They don't think much of it themselves. I think that slot with you know the the lack of goals and the lack of points secured at that point because it is so flat. I think even even when big fixtures get allocated to that time, it 
it can be it doesn't feel like it because of the time of day you're kicking off. So I'd I'd, I'd expect it to be decent on on Saturday. I think um, you, you just the big thing for me is you just want to see Liverpool start well because as you know as as good as it was to see them fight back against Arsenal, they still showed nothing for twenty minutes and and gifted Arsenal the initiative and yeah did brilliantly to, to to fight back, but it shouldn't have needed that. And even even the other night at Leeds, you know if it's it gets lost in the aftermath because Liverpool was so much better than Leeds second half. But you know, for 30 minutes, again, Liverpool were pretty abject. And you could see how brittle things are. You know, you think if if Leeds had scored first, who knows, it could have been different. So you just want to see Liverpool go and impose themselves on a game from the start. And certainly in terms of the mentality as well, surely there should be a lot of players as well in that dressing room now with the competition for places that Klopp has got looking at it and thinking, well, I have to produce because if I don't, you know, there, there's someone breathing down my neck ready to take my spot. And I don't think that's been the case for, for large chunks of the season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearce and Ollie Kay with Walk On. Right, eight games to go. Who's a bigger for the players, Ollie or Klopp? Um, I would say the players for the, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I mean, Klopp's future is secure as long as he's persuaded of it and convinced that he can get Liverpool competing for the big prizes again. No, nobody's nobody's wanting to sort of run him out of town or anything like that. But I think a lot of the players do need to prove what they can do and, and remind Klopp and remind the fans and remind themselves what they need to do. I mean, it's probably some are in a, a different point to prove category than others because, you know, it's just a sort of temporary blip. But someone like Fabinho, who's there have been enough concerning things said and written and whispered about him all season, about, about his form, can he recover it? Is he, is he in decline? Or was, this, or was he just a sort of victim of the collective struggle this season? Someone like Fabinho, someone like Henderson, again, big point to prove. Even Van Dijk, who's, I think sometimes his struggles have been exaggerated, but I think he needs to persuade people. And maybe in his, his case, it's it's more about persuading opponents that he's still <laughs> that he's still the best around and, and, and that that aura is still there. So there are so many players who have something to prove, whether it's the manager, the fans, the wider public, themselves, even the opposition. I mean, I think we all know there's going to be a few players coming in in the summer and the team, certainly the midfield, is going to have a very different look next season. Or you'd think so. I mean, it is, isn't it, James? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think anything that happens in the next six six weeks or whatever, results-wise, or, or, or change, you know, what the, the club's recruitment plans, because I think I think that they are pretty crystallised already in terms of what what needs to be done. I think you know, you're probably looking at four or five new faces this summer. We, yeah, we know that you know at least two of those will be in midfield. That's pretty clear. It's just giving you that belief around that, isn't it? You know, I don't have to say before. I don't think you you can't just pin everything on new blood's going to come in and, and just transform the place. 
you know, just as important at getting players back to their best who have been miles off it this season. And, you know, Fabino, as Ollie just mentioned, probably the, the perfect example of that in terms of someone who, you know, I think most people have been scratching their heads for most of the season thinking, well, what on earth has happened to him? Because he's, you know, he's, he's still the right side of 30. You know, he's not a player that ever massively relied on amazing acceleration. He hasn't just suddenly come back from a bad injury. It was all pretty baffling why his form fell off a cliff. So, yeah, you certainly you certainly want to see him. You want to see Curtis Jones as well continue to build on the opportunities he's had. And, you know, even defensively, you look at whether it's Joel Matip or, or Joe Gomez that gets an opportunity with the schedule in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, there's a midweek game next week with West Ham. You think you know one of you know those two have both got a point to prove because you know I think everyone expects Liverpool as well as signing at least two midfielders to bring in another centre back this summer to to really push Canate and Van Dijk to a to a bigger degree and give them more quality in that area. So you know they've got something to to prove. We know that Kate is going. We know Oxley Chamberlain's going. Milner's obviously coming to the end of his contract as well. You know Adrian's out of contract. Firmino's off. So there's you know there's gaps to plug there. You know regardless of you know, other players who may well get an opportunity to move on, like, you know, Quivine Kelleher would be the, the perfect example of that. You know, if he gets an opportunity to be a number one somewhere else, you know, Liverpool, he's probably, you know, arguably one of Liverpool's most valuable kind of sellable assets this summer. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, as well, you know, new players can come in, but there's very few players who can transform things overnight. They need to come into a place where the mood's good and people are playing well, because we've seen, the struggles this season. We, you know, we've seen um, Gakpo, and we've seen Nunes, and we've seen uh, it's been difficult for them coming into the team. That's misfiring. Uh, th- that's one of the important factors, isn't it, Ollie? Yeah, it is. And and you could you could add Nunes to that category. We, we were talking about earlier. You know, he scored I think nine Premier League goals, fifteen in all competitions, which might sound reasonable for a first season, but I think we all know that there are still rough edges. At times, they've looked rougher as the season has gone on. He, he probably looked a better player in those first couple of appearances, Community Shield and Fulham away, than than he has done for most of the season. So he is an example of somebody who needs to finish this season strongly. I think everybody seems to be convinced he'll do better next season. Well, I think he will be a lot more convinced of that if he if he ends this season well with a with a flurry of goals. So I suppose getting that one off the bench the other night will, will probably help him. But yeah, there is definitely that issue of it being a lot easier to integrate into a successful team or an informed team, happy team where everyone's pulling in the same direction than going into a team where everyone's sort of looking at each other and not quite sure who's performing, who they can rely on. If you are going to get players coming in and hit, hitting the ground running, like you know, if it's Mason Mount or Alexis McAllister or whoever else it ends up being, could be could be one of dozens of names, it will be so much easier if, if they're going into a, a happier more positive environment where people aren't immediately feeling under massive pressure. Well, definitely, definitely. And one where you don't feel that people are ready to finger point at the first thing that goes wrong. Let's get on to, you said you're intrigued before, Ali. So I'm going to stay with you for the moment. Trent. Yeah, there's been this ongoing debate and it, it probably started when he was playing brilliantly three, four seasons ago, but it's definitely been gained another dimension this season when he's when he's not been performing as well. But there's been this sort of assumption that because he's been a world-class right-back, he should end up in midfield, which of course is where he played in his youth team days. I've 
found myself thinking, well, I'm not convinced of that. You're world-class in one position. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be world-class in another. I, I've You've seen Pep Guardiola do it, you know, Bayern Munich with Alaba and, and Lahm. And I've never been that convinced by it. I always thought those players were even better at fullback or Alaba centre-back than, than they were in midfield. So I've, I've been a sceptical along about the, the Trent midfield situation. They clearly tried it against Arsenal. Not... Obviously, he still started at right back. That's the important distinction. But he had this sort of floating role where, where he sort of in possession, he would go into more central positions and it would end up 3-2, three, 2-3, two, two, three, I guess you'd call it, with him as one of the two in front of the defence. And first half against Arsenal, I thought, well, look, that really doesn't work. We can we can write that, write that off. But then second half against Arsenal worked really well. Against Leeds, it worked really, really well. Um, I'm surprised by it and impressed by it and, as I said, intrigued by it because I would still be aware of how poor it looked in that first half hour, 40 minutes or so against Arsenal. But there's no doubt that when Liverpool are dominating possession and are able to play a game on their own terms, as they were in that second half against Arsenal, as, as they were for you know the final hour at Leeds, he was a big factor in them playing at their own terms. But in those games, it looks like it really, really could work. And I'm impressed. And I'm also probably thinking maybe this should have been tried a lot earlier. Well, I mean, the first game of the season against uh, Fulham, he was drifting inside then and drifting forward. So, I mean, it's not like... I mean, James, do you see it as a change of system or do you just see it as a tweak? I mean, for want of a better phrase, he's a floating full-back. Yeah, I think the big difference in the last two games compared to what we'd seen previously is previously it was it was all down to, to Trent to decide as of when he did drift into those central areas. Klopp had said to him, you know, back your your intuition and your initiative, you know, when 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 you feel the time is right. And and yeah, you're right, but you know it's not it's not suddenly something new, is it, seeing Trent pop up in, in central areas with the ball. But I think I think what where there has been a change in in the strategy is that he effectively now is in the middle pretty much every time Liverpool are in possession. Um, and then when Liverpool aren't, don't have the ball, he, he goes back to right back. And, you know, Canate has a, has a lot of space to cover during those, those periods. But um, it has worked a, a treat the last the last two games. As Oli said, I think there were signs of it working against Arsenal without it being, you could see it was it was new when he was learning. But he you could see how much he was enjoying himself at, at Ellen Road the other night. And, and of course, it, you know, it's, it's different, isn't it? Doing it against Leeds or doing it against Tottenham or Villa and some of the tougher games that Liverpool have, have got remain, remaining. But um, from what I've been told, it's, it's given him a bit of a lift as well, you know, after a tough period. You can actually it's, see that, can't you? Because his body yeah. language was dire for a while. Yeah, I think, I think you know, he did have a really tough period. And, you know, and, you know, I don't think, you know, being a local boy like he is and, you know, having... You know, grown up following the club. You know, it, this season will have hurt him as you know as much as anyone, if not more than anyone, in terms of the, the team's performances and 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 the feeling of at times not being able to do himself justice. Um, so yeah, you know, totally, you know, he does feel energized by this change of role. He feels that it does kind of accentuate the positives of his game and allow him to influence games to a to a greater degree. And you know, he certainly saw that against. Against Leeds the other night. One one thing I don't really go along with because I had a lot of people when we did the Q and A after the game the other night. People saying, "Well, we now need to buy one less midfielder, but we need to buy a right back." And it's like, "Well, hang on a minute. He is actually still playing right back." I think mm. that's 
probably one, one important thing to say. So it's at the moment there's no sign of Klopp saying you know he is no longer a right back; he's a centre midfielder. It's this hybrid role, inverted fullback. Call you call it what call it whatever you want, but um, you know at, at the minute he still is officially Liverpool's right back, and it'll just be interesting to see whether it, you know will, is that how it's going to stay, or is it or is is this just going to be a horses for courses approach depending on who they're facing? Or will he go into midfield permanently? It's that's unclear at the minute. But at the moment, I don't, I don't sense that. It's certainly not right to say that Trent is now he's now a midfielder, and Liverpool need to go and buy another right back because he, he is still the right back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, the whole way he was, what he's been doing, way he's playing. It seems to me it's just an extension of the risk reward factors that you have that surround him you're always going to have that because he's not a he's not a Tommy Smith style defender who's going to lock up one side of the pitch actually Phil Neal would be better um, comparison wouldn't it he's not a Phil Neal style defender who can lock up one side of the pitch and stop the opposition playing he's not that sort of player you're always going to get it's always going to be you know walking on the edge aren't you when when you've got trends but the positives are so big that it's weird don't you reckon, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, people have questioned him a lot the last four or five seasons because he's the kind of right back people aren't used to seeing in the Premier League. They might see it in Dani Alves and playing for Barcelona in the Champions League, but it's a style of fullback that we just haven't seen very often in the Premier League. It's, it takes a lot of getting used to. This, you know, five years ago, people were very skeptical about goalkeepers playing out of the back and high lines and all of this kind of thing. So there's been a cultural shift in English football the last uh, in the Premier League in the last five years. He's been one of the um, symbols of that, I guess. And even when he was doing really well, there were people say Liverpool could go through a season and hardly concede any goals, barely lose a game. And people would say, well, he's a weak link at right back. And you think, well, he clearly isn't because opponents might think that, but very few of them get anywhere against him because of the way Liverpool played, and he was a big part of that. But I think this season, when we haven't seen the same attacking threat from him, and, and we've probably seen more mistakes from him, more lapses and more collective lapses and by, by the defence, where he's been one of several people culpable for a goal, for example, I think that risk-reward equation looks a bit different. And people have been on his back, and I think sometimes fairly, often very unfairly. Um, he seems to get more criticism than other... English fullbacks that make as many mistakes. Reese James hasn't had a good season either, but it seems not to get attract the same criticism. But it's yeah, I I, I would say the risk reward thing has always been in, in his favour. Less so this season. I think I can understand there being a desire to just change his role a bit. But like James says, I, I wouldn't go the whole hog and want to turn him into a number eight who's bombing on all the time. I don't think that would necessarily suit him. I don't think he's a Steven Gerrard type. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ideal situation would be to bring in a couple of more midfielders and let him perform his role as best he can, the way he's been doing it. But, James, the last few weeks of the season, who is it the time for? We touched on this earlier on, but who's really got to step up in these last few weeks? Um... <sighs> Well, who hasn't got a step up? That's the thing. I mean, in terms of in terms of the obvious names that stand out, I think as Ollie touched upon earlier, I I, I really want to see Darwin Nunes kick on. I think you know, I, in this day and age, everyone seems to be everyone's in such a rush, aren't they, to hail someone as 
an amazing hit or a dreadful flop. And the, and the reality with Darwin Nunes is his first season at Liverpool has been okay. I think probably nothing more than that. I think we've sh- sh- seen flashes of his undoubted quality, yet he is still raw. And I think there's big question marks over can he do off the ball what Klopp wants him to do? Because I think that's the thing at the moment. And that's going to be interesting to see how much football he gets during the running. Because I think Gagpo is such an intelligent footballer who, you know, I hold my hands up after a month of, of Gagpo being at Liverpool, thought, you know, I wasn't sure. I thought, you know, is this really what Liverpool need? Uh, especially when you know, they were crying out for a midfield, midfielder in January. Yet you look at him now and he's essentially learned that number nine role, you know, spoke to him at Stamford Bridge the other week and he was talking about Firmino giving him advice on how to play it. And um, he's so good for me in that central role. You do one, you know, and now obviously you've got, you know, Jota scoring again, you've got uh, Diaz fit. So, you know, I, I want to see Darwin Nunes kind of make Klopp have to pick him, if you like, with with what he's producing on the training pitch and on the minutes he gets. So, Big for him to go into the summer because, as Oli said, it's a lot of pressure. You know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't have a strong end to the season, that just puts more pressure on him going into going into next season. And Fabino is an obvious one as well. You want, you don't want to go into the summer hoping he might be a different player next season. You want to go in with that real belief that this is just a blip and he's he's, he's coming out the other side. So, um, yeah, it's it's big for a lot of those. A lot of those players, and you know Curtis Jones, as we said as well. You know, you know he, you know I, I, I love his kind of confidence. When I did a chat with him the other week, and he said, "Yeah, of course I still back myself." You know, I, I don't care who Liverpool sign this summer; they can bring in who they want. I, I back myself to to succeed here. You know, I'm not prepared to give up on my dream. And probably at the time, people scoffed, and then you know you watch him play as he did the other night, and you think, "Well, yeah." If he builds on that, then he definitely does have a part to play in this rebuild. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. In towards Gerrard! Hello! Hello! Here we go! This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce and Ollie Kay. To finish today's episode, we're throwing us over to you again. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, email walk-on at theathletic.com. And that's what John Walsh has done. So let's see what John's got to say. Hey, Tony, how you doing? John here. Um, my point is, we keep on talking about transfers and 100 million for Bellingham and 50 million for Mount and 50 million for blah, blah, blah. Surely the legacy of a great club is producing homegrown players. And the last 10 years, Liverpool have produced Trent and maybe Curtis Jones. Should we not be trying to invest more money in producing local talent instead of uh, forking out mad money on the likes of Bellingham, etc.? So, just I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Cheers, Tony. Love the show. Good stuff there from John. Ollie, what are your views on that? Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I think in terms of the, the idea of investing more money in it, I think that maybe slightly underestimates the amount of money it costs to, to run an academy that you know all Premier League clubs are investing millions and millions and millions in it every year and it's not easy to get the the rewards from that it doesn't it, it, there's no guarantee that you'll get sort of 10 world-class players if you, if you invest 10 times as much money I mean Liverpool have if you look at Alexander Arnold who has been a top-class player a world-class player the last 
five years. That is a big, big sort of feather in the cap of those who work at the academy. Curtis Jones is a is a big plus point too. But is it enough for a decade? Is it is it is that good enough? Probably not. They would have expected, I think, to have produced more. And I, I think in some ways it's been been harder because the team's been so good. I think it's it's harder to produce elite players for an elite team than it is if you look at for example when let's say Jamie Carragher and David Thompson and people like that were breaking to the it's a Liverpool team even Mike Lowe you didn't have to be elite level to to make mm. the team at that point you know Mike Lowe clearly was and Jamie Carragher you know became a top class defender but you didn't the bar wasn't set so incredibly high that you had to be world class in your position or top class in your position in order to make it I think it's become so difficult and have been players who have been right you know seem to have been on the fringes of it even people who aren't local like Jordan Ibe and people like that who have been seemingly on the cusp of it and then not really really been able to kick on and then people like Ryan Brewster have ended up being sold because they've been good financial assets and, and haven't really made it elsewhere I think it's fascinating it's a really familiar story across all Premier League clubs really but I, I think Klopp did talk a lot a few years ago about wanting a, a team full of players with Scouse accents. And, and if there were two equal players, one from elsewhere and a Scouser, that he'd always pick the Scouser. Yeah, I mean, how would you have broken in if you're, you know, forward when you've got Salah, Mane and Firmino, uh, when the midfield was functioning? You know, it's basically since, you know, the end of 2017, early 2018, it was difficult to get into that team because... All the positions were plugged in. You, you knew the best players. It's hard for the academy products to get into the side. I think that is a really, really important point. You have to remember the level the level that Liverpool are at now and the level they've been at now for a, a significant period of, of Klopp's reign because the bar has gone so high. I was just looking back then, trying to think of a decent example and without wanting to pick on him, someone like Andre Wisdom played 19 times for Liverpool in 2012-13, which was obviously Rodgers' first season. Now, Andre Wisdom at the time was you know, a decent rated enough defender, but he was never someone that you ever heard whispers of, oh, wow, this this kid's going to be incredible. Yet, you know, he's played 19 games that season. You had you know, Suso as well, I think, played a similar amount of games. And, you know, of course, there's been others like, you know, John Flanagan obviously was very close to being part of a Liverpool title-winning team and, in 13-14, you know, Jack Robinson, obviously Jerome Sinclair, who there was you know big, big hopes for, still the youngest player ever to play for Liverpool. And now 10 years on, doesn't even have a club and is the manager of a, of a, of a takeaway in Birmingham. So it's, it, it, it is very, very difficult to, to make it at the top level. And I think, I think it's too easy to say, well, there's only Trent and Curtis who have really kind of established themselves. So the academy is not working because I think, when you actually add up the fees that Liverpool have received for academy players who haven't been quite good enough for Liverpool but have gone on to have get big moves elsewhere, you know the academy more than pays its way. You know, you look at you know someone like Ryan Kent, Harry Wilson, of course at Fulham, Nico Williams, you know went for a lot of money to was it seventeen million to Forest. He's a he's a Premier League footballer, Wales Wales international. Um, Ollie mentioned Rian Brewster before. Obviously, things haven't worked out great for him since, but was that twenty-three million pounds? And I think you're probably looking at the academy cost in Liverpool ten to twelve million pound a year. So it certainly does pay its way. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But you know, of course, if you speak to the staff there, you know they want more. They want more. They don't sit there with their feet up just watching reruns of Trent 
play, play, they're taking a quick corner against Barcelona. They want to find the next one, but they're all re- also realistic to know that it's really, really tough. Yeah, well, well, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm fairly old. I'm very old. But sometimes you look back and you say, oh, this was a golden era. They produced some players. But it seems to me that the way the Premier League is now, and particularly Liverpool in the past five years, that if you've got one, not only a starting player in the team, like Trent, but a very, very influential one, and, you know, a Curtis Jones who's on the fringes, you're doing pretty well, Ollie. Yeah, there aren't too many Premier League clubs that have got you know one of their star players being a, a youth team and uh, you know an academy product and 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 another one being sort of on the on the fringes. You know, I think there'll be plenty who have who've got no no academy players in their team whatsoever, and it's it's depressing. But I, I'm just looking at the the number of current or recent academy graduates who have played for Liverpool in you know early days: Bobby Clark, Cade Gordon, Ben Doak, etc. Owen Beck, and you just think, well. How good are their prospects of making it at Anfield? I mean, they can be sort of the next big thing at seventeen, eighteen, where there's a plan to you know, integrate them into the into the first team squad, and they might be viewed as the long term successor to Ben Doak might be viewed as the long term successor in to, to Salah, for example. But and, and this is just me speculating because I've never heard anyone at Liverpool say that. But it's so difficult to get to that level. The level he will have to get to by the time <laughs> Mo Salah's sort of on the way down, if he's going to be sort of nineteen twenty, it's so difficult to get to the level where you're going to be a regular starter for for a Liverpool team that will be expected to be challenging for Premier League title, etc. Well, James, just to round this off, which of the kids do you think is most likely to break through? Well, Ben Doak is certainly the one we've seen little flashes already, haven't we? Of his of his ability and yeah, having watched a lot of the the youth games this season, you know, he's been absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else. And I think it's not just it's not just his talent because you know we've seen it so many times with young players at under 18s football can you know dominate and then you see them in in a men's environment and they struggle and look lost. But you know, with him, he's got that physical side as well as the the, the technique and. You can just, you know, there's a lovely, you know, kind of, I don't know, like spiky attitude to him as well that, you know, I think will stand him in really good stead. But, you know, you need a lot of good luck as well along the way. You need you need to be fortunate with, with injuries. You also need to be fortunate in terms of the opportunity coming along and, and coming along at the right time for you to be able to to grasp it. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty positive, to be honest, about the academy in terms of what they're doing. You know, you, you know, Besetic is a good example as well. OK, he's not someone that Liverpool have brought through from a really young age, like they have done with a lot of the other ones. But, um, you know, he, they signed him for, for next to nothing as a young centre-half. And then Mark Bridge-Wilkinson and Alex Inglethorpe sat down and thought, well, hang on a minute, what is his best pathway to try and become a first-team footballer? And they thought, well, actually, probably not as a centre-back, more as a holding midfielder, taught him that new role. And then, you know, who would have believed at the start of this season that there'd be a point in this season where you'd go, you know, we're really missing Stefan Bersetic. And it was a massive blow, him being out for the rest of the season. I think that's a a very, very 
succinct summation of the way things are, James. And, uh, and you know, thanks to John Walsh because it was a very good question. But that's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James Pierce and Ollie Kay, who can come on anytime he wants because he's great, <laughs> as well as you for joining us. Well, it's Forest on Saturday. You'll hear us on Monday, and we'll see you then. Athletic.